Welcome to Saints. In this podcast, we'll be discovering and discussing fascinating insights to topics and events found in Saints, the story of the Church of Jesus Christ in the latter days. This new four-volume narrative is the history of the Restoration. You can also read it and all the material we'll be discussing today on LDS.org or on your Gospel Library app. And now, Saints. I'm Ben Godfrey, and today I'm joined by Heidi Green. Welcome. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. And also joined by one of the story editors from the Saints Project, Angela Hallstrom. Welcome, Angela. Hello. I'm glad to be here as well. Uh, In today's episode, we're going to be talking about Chapter 6 of Saints, The Gift and Power of God. And just to remind our listeners, last episode we left off, and Joseph is at a pretty low point. In fact, the, the, the whole Smith family and Emma... Joseph lost his child. They've lost the 116 pages of the manuscript. He's, he's lost the plates. They've been taken away. He doesn't have the, the Urim and Thummim. His translation is stopped. What were your impressions of this moment and, and, and Joseph getting the plates back? Well, as a, as a story editor, and, and I'm a, a writer, that's my background, you're kind of at the, he's at the bottom, and he's, he needs to kind of climb back out of where he's found himself um, and start to gain confidence again and start to be able to trust that he's been forgiven for his mistakes and that the Lord will continue to bless him so that he can keep translating. Yeah, I, I also thought it's kind of interesting because sometimes you think that they just move on pretty quickly, but it is a little bit of a process of him getting it back and kind of having that experience with the Lord to say, okay, now I need to move forward. But it's not like overnight. He's just ready to go. (laughs) But he has to take some time. And I think we all experience that when we go through something. He takes it pretty hard. You know, he, 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 he let the Lord down by sending the pages away to basically satisfy man. Yes. Um, Let's, let's read just a, or hear rather, just a, a clip here from the book. The Lord urged Joseph to remember his mercy. Repent of that which thou hast done, he commanded, and thou art still chosen. Once again he called Joseph to be his prophet and seer, yet he warned him to heed his word. Except thou do this, he declared, thou shalt be delivered up and become as other men, and have no more gift. How do you think that might have felt to, on one hand, be told, you can do this, but on the other hand, there's a little bit of a rebuke there. Yes. And I also think it's important to remember that that Joseph is learning line upon line to be a translator, to use his gift. Um, and I think just as anyone who suffers a setback in something that you, if you're an athlete or or a performer where you feel like you're at the top of your game and then you get knocked down. Um, And you have to build your own confidence back up in order to be able to access that gift again. Um, I think the Lord is also making that that clear to Joseph, that that you need to be able to repent in order to gain the confidence that you need to use your gift. Right. One one of the things that I've always thought interesting about that um, particular revelation in the Doctrine and Covenants I don't know. I guess maybe I'm just too proud, but I think as a prophet, how hard is it to write down a rebuke from the Lord about yourself? (laughs) It's always kind of been a testimony to me that Joseph records it right there. 
he's in trouble. And the Lord told him he's in trouble. Mm -hmm. That's such a good point. I recently even just had a conversation with my dad and he brought up something and I was like, that's really true. And I kind of walked away and I was like, I'm not going to let him know that that was a good point. I'm just going (laughs) to take it, you know? And I think that you're totally right. I didn't even think about the fact that you know, he actually had to write that down for everybody else to be witness to it, where we just kind of want to take it and walk away. And so I can only imagine those feelings, because when you do get corrected, it doesn't always feel good. And mm-hmm. it, sometimes we're just like, well, Joseph, he made a mistake, so he should have been rebuked, you know. But when we take that internally, it's like, I don't actually want anyone to know that right, this exactly. happened. Yes. And I'm just going to go take that little bit of advice and move on. But he he really is putting himself out there. And it it definitely is relatable to me. And I think there's a line in the history in in Saints that says as prophets of old I have yes. recorded yep. this rebuke. And I think that's one reason why it's important in our history to show that even our leaders, even our prophets have times where they have made mistakes, where they need to learn from those mistakes. Um, that's what we see in the Bible, that's what we see in the Book of Mormon, that's what we see in Saints. Absolutely. At this time Joseph is in harmony. He's with the Hale family. Angela, as a, as a story writer, do we have any good elements of a story happening and oh, <laughs> some so, dynamics? There's so much good tension at this point in the narrative. And um, I think of this from Emma's perspective, that she has moved back to her parents' town, is living very close by. Um, and her father does not like her husband and is suspicious of him. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure there's a lot of tension there. And, and as we talked about in the last podcast, um, in Chapter 5, she has recently just lost a child. And they lost the manuscript. There, there are many issues that they are having to deal with just domestically in, in their home life um, to to be able to move forward and and be productive in working on the translation. So they're nearby. Isaac Hale is not friendly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's antagonistic. Let's just listen to what, what happens uh, in, in the home. Before closing his words, the Lord made a declaration. If the people of this generation harden not their hearts, he said, I will establish my church. Joseph reflected on these words as Martin copied the revelation. He and Emma then listened as Martin read it back to check its accuracy. As they read, Emma's father came into the room and listened. When they finished, he asked whose words they were. The words of Jesus Christ, Joseph and Emma explained. So what was Isaac's reaction to hearing this? Well, he is skeptical. (laughs) Um, And he has been skeptical of the plates. He was allowed to heft the box. Right. But as Joseph was commanded, he was not allowed to show the plates to anyone. And that was very irritating to, to Isaac Hale to not be able to see the plates. And now this man who claims to have these gold plates, who has married his daughter without his permission, is saying that he's speaking for Jesus Christ. Right. Which... I can imagine would be, if you're already skeptical, would be difficult. Yeah, you can imagine just in your own relationships when you're kind of like, is that person doing what, you know, they say they are and you kind of already have those feelings. Mm -hmm. I I can only imagine the tension that's there and 
kind of they've already gone through this moment together, you know, losing the plates and they're having this tension with their dad. I mean, I can just I'm not married, but I can relate to Emma and like some of those feelings how you she probably doesn't want to disappoint her parents yes. and she's just trying to keep the peace with everybody yes. and yeah. here she is when it, her dad comes in and hopefully mm-hmm. I'm sure she was hoping that he would feel something but but it's also striking to me how confidently they answered that yeah. question you know whose words are these and Jesus and confidently Christ. saying these are the words of Jesus Christ and, and really it's it's an amazing moment because as far as I know this is the first moment when Joseph knows the Lord's going to establish a church. Yes. Uh, uh, before this, it's really not clear to him. He's he knows he has new scripture to bring forth and to teach people uh, ab- about the the fullness of the gospel. But this is the moment where we learn there's going to be a church that comes from this. Well, Joseph needs some help, right? And as we move along in the chapter, we're 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 going to translate the Book of Mormon. We're going to start this process again, and there's a new character that comes into the story. Um, who, who is that and, and what's his backstory? So we meet Oliver Cowdery, and he is a, a teacher and a tutor who has been living with the Smith family um, and learns about Joseph and starts to become curious. I thought it was interesting in the in the book, it did mention that, did Oliver know about Joseph before? It kind of sounded like he kind of knew who he was, so he's, he asked for the Smiths to let him in. And I, from what I understand from the book, which I thought was interesting, it's not like that was totally out of the normal in the day. If yeah. he was a teacher, they kind of travel to where they're going to teach and then they live with the family in the area. But it sounded like he kind of knew something about yeah, it a little he, bit and he had some curiosity had, towards had, it. You're right. The The book does mention that. He, he'd heard about the Smiths and this this gold Bible, as the, the townspeople were calling it. And he asked... Um, uh, if my memory serves, at the end of his teaching time to, to go and stay with them and to visit. And then um, another little clip here from the book, we learn what happens after he stayed with the family and they've, they've basically confided in him and told him what's going on. Um, this is what we, what we hear. One spring day, as rain was falling hard against the Smith's roof, Oliver told the family he wanted to go to Harmony to help Joseph when the school term was over. Lucy and Joseph Sr. urged him to ask the Lord if his desires were right. Retiring to his bed, Oliver prayed privately to know if what he had heard about the gold plates was true. The Lord showed him a vision of the gold plates and Joseph's efforts to translate them. A peaceful feeling rested over him, and he knew then that he should volunteer to be Joseph's scribe. At this moment, we have our school teacher. Um, Heidi, what do you think about this this moment for Oliver? Well, I think that must have been a little intimidating, but he had had this experience, and he obviously has the background because he was a teacher, he's educated um, to be a scribe. But I can only imagine being like, I'll do it. I'll I'll be your scribe. And he probably knew somewhat about the situation, but I don't know. Did Was that kind of out of the ordinary for him to come and say like, hey, I'm an, I'll be your scribe? Or how did that kind of happen? I think it was a bit out of the ordinary. And I think especially the the answer was out of the ordinary. Yes. And I think when he received that revelatory experience from the Lord, that gave him the confidence to say, I'm more than just a curious man who would like to learn more about this. Yeah, that's a great point. This gold Bible. Um, I, I want... 
I want to know if this is real and if this is of God. And so he receives this spiritual confirmation and has this revelatory experience that, that tells him that he has a calling as well. And I think it's interesting that, that when you look back at Martin Harris, when you look back at other people who were involved, the Lord will give them their own revelatory experiences to show them that they have their own role to play, that they are an important person in bringing forth the restoration of the gospel. I really like that, too, because he's not expecting them to just follow along. Like, the Lord will give them their own experience, just like each of us. Like, if we really want to have that relationship with God, he'll give it to us. Yes. Here it is in Saints, like right here at the very beginning. Oliver, Mm -hmm. ask, get your own answer. Yes. And and Oliver becomes a witness later, you know. Mm-hmm. But really, his first time to see the gold plates is in vision in response to this question: Should I go and help? So it's a, a miraculous and a, and a marvelous experience. Lots of people today are very very curious. There's tons of interest in how did this work? What were the mechanics of the translation process like? Let's listen to another little clip here from Saints that talks about what it was like once Oliver and Joseph began translating. Meanwhile, Joseph and Oliver started translating. They worked well together, weeks on end, frequently with Emma in the same room going about her daily work. Sometimes Joseph translated by looking through the interpreters and reading in English the characters on the plates. Often he found a single seer stone to be more convenient. He would put the seer stone in his hat place his face into the hat to block out the light, and peer at the stone. Light from the stone would shine in the darkness, revealing words that Joseph dictated as Oliver rapidly copied them down. I always heard about the seer stones, but, you know, when you see pictures or something of it, I, I never really saw a hat. So I, I just kind of ask you, what? why do you think that was? And, I mean, maybe as you're telling, you're recounting that little piece that we just heard, um, he put it in there so maybe to block the light. I mean, maybe it wasn't actually a part of it. I don't know. What was with the hat? <laughs> right. Well, from what I understand, um, he had d- two different methods that he would use an object. So he had the interpreters, or what we often call the Urim and Thummim, which is what he he received when he received the plates. And they were in little frames, almost looked kind of like spectacles mm. um, that he would use. But he also had a seer stone that he had obtained when he was a younger man, when he was learning about his spiritual gifts. And from what I understand, the, the practical reason behind putting the stone in the hat was to block out the light because the stone would essentially glow with light right. and he would see the words on the stone and i didn't know about this when i was young this was i my the way that i envisioned the translation process was probably based on illustrations that i saw where joseph was sitting on a stool in right. the middle of the room with the gold plates completely open right. and writing with a pen yeah. And and that is not how the process actually happened. And I think I don't necessarily see any problem between one way or the other way. They sure. were both done by the gift and power of God. But I think it's helpful for people to know the methods of translation. Joseph and Oliver, to, to the best of my knowledge, um, they their description of the translation process was by the gift and power of God. And Joseph even said later, it's not meant for the world to know. 
um, all the specifics. But we do have various historical accounts by individuals who were directly involved. And I would just say to our listeners out there, if this is something new to you, there is actually a fantastic resource where you can learn more. Um, In the church history section of Gospel Library, go into the Gospel Topics section, and there is an essay about the translation process of the Book of Mormon. You can also find it on lds.org under Gospel Topics. But it talks about each of these historical accounts, where they came from, who said that, and and what we learned. And uh, as you've both commented today, yes, it, from the historical accounts, we know there were at least two ways Joseph translated uh, with the Urim and Thummim, and then also with the single seer stone. In, in either case, it was by the gift and power of God. I think that's important, too, because, um, I mean, I've heard a few different talks about this from uh, other historians that I've been able to listen to, which was amazing, but those things kind of fit into their life. So like a seer stone isn't weird. Like today, if we went back 200 years and said, yeah, we're looking at these phones, that's part (laughs) of our, like our lives, you know, and like Mm -hmm. nature and maybe a stone is part of theirs. And even when you go back into Bible times, what they used, maybe a staff with Moses or whatever it is that these different things, it kind of makes sense. It's like Mm -hmm. God uses what you kind of know in your circumstances to help and I think, inspire you. I think oftentimes objects can also help facilitate. Yes, um, and as exactly. Joseph grew in his prophetic role, he didn't need the objects as much. Um, but those objects were helpful to him as he was learning how to translate, as he was going through that translation process. I think, I think both of those are really, really helpful perspectives. Um, something else that our listeners may not be aware of Um, Over at the Church History Library here in Salt Lake City, or actually you can go online to the josephsmithpapers.org website and see this, we can see Joseph Smith's journal in 1832. And um, we were talking about this before before we began recording. In Joseph's journal, you'll see cross-outs, strikethroughs, he's trying to erase. It's, It's a mess. And then right next to that, we have the original manuscript of the Book of Mormon. This very manuscript that we're talking about today, where Joseph is speaking and Oliver is writing. And what does that look like? Compare the two. Well, it's fascinating to me as a writer and and a testimony builder to me as a writer to understand that this manuscript was dictated, that he would verbally speak a line, it would be written down, and he would say, okay, yes, that's correct. If he needed to correct anything that was not correct, he would do that. And once it was correct, then he would, he would see, he would have revealed to him the next line, and he would dictate that. And he would be able to leave and go and take a break, go have lunch, stop whatever he's doing for whatever reason, and be able to come back and pick right up where he left off. So not only is that amazing to me, but as a reader of the Book of Mormon, I don't, I don't know about you, Heidi, when you have read the Book of Mosiah, where it's flashbacks and flash forwards, and there's all these different <laughs> groups yeah. going different places at different times, that that was dictated is a miracle. It's a miracle. Yeah, I haven't actually um, gone in and looked at those two side by side, so I'm excited to go see. But I mean, that would be just amazing to see, like, even his own writings and what he's dictating here. 
and obviously, even if when I, I'm trying to write a letter or an email or something, it's like you have to come back and remind yourself, and he's able to just do that. It reminds me of what we just said, that it was done by the gift and power of God. Yes. So I'm like you, Heidi. I think I, I literally can't write two sentences in an email without backing up, fixing something, mm-hmm. moving forward. And uh, it is such an amazing thing to see what's what, what we have. We have about 24% of the original manuscript of the Book of Mormon. Um, much of it was lost because it was it was sealed up in the Nauvoo house in, in, in the cornerstone and uh, just kind of molded away. But the pieces that we have left, mm-hmm. um, it's just straight dictation. Mm-hmm. No punctuation, just line after line after line coming to Joseph. And, and one of my favorite lines of all um, is Oliver's line of, these were days not to be forgotten. Yes. You know, and and uh, and he didn't forget, and neither did Joseph. So, as we're talking through this, one of the things that kind of came, you know, one of the questions I had is, what is Oliver's role in this, and did he want to take a turn? Like, I'm sure he was interested as he's listening to Joseph, you know, dictate these things. I'm sure he was kind of interested. What was kind of his role in all of this? Well, as a scribe, he had been writing down what what Joseph would say, but he became more and more interested in being able to translate himself. And and Joseph was open to him having that experience. It's interesting to me because this experience results in a revelation to Oliver that I think most members of the church have read over and over. So I'm looking in Doctrine and Covenants section 8, and the Lord through Joseph Smith says to Oliver, Yea, behold, I will tell you in your mind and in your heart by the Holy Ghost, which shall come upon you, and which shall dwell in your heart. So he's educating him. Here's how you're going to get your answer. This is how it's going to work. But it doesn't really work for Oliver. Mm-hmm. He tries translating, and he fails. Mm-hmm. So then we skip over to section 9, and the Lord says, Verse 8, but behold, I say unto you, you must study it out in your mind, and you must ask if it be right. And if it is right, I will cause your bosom shall burn within you. How many of us have read that scripture and and said, okay, I've got to do my part first, right? And then I can go ask. So this is, this is a moment that Oliver gets to learn, but I think it's a moment that we learn. Yes, and I think it's interesting, too, that his desire to translate is a righteous desire. And often we have righteous desires that that we come to the Lord and we say, this is this is what I want and it's a righteous thing. Why can't I have it? Um, and And those scriptures are instructive in that way too. Oftentimes we don't understand the Lord's timing um, and we don't understand what our role is to be um, until we can humble ourselves and I think that's the process that we see Oliver going through here. It is one of those moments, I believe, as far as personal revelation is concerned, that is one of the most instructive pieces of Scripture we have. This is how it works. This is how you'll feel. And do your homework. Mm -hmm. Good heavens, you know. Oliver, you didn't even think about it. Mm -hmm. And so many times I'm saying that to myself, like, okay, Heavenly Father, I didn't even... I just wanted you to give it to me. Yes. Yeah, I just wanted it now. <laughs> I yes. just want the answer. But I, I agree. I think it's really helpful to see his experience and to relate it to myself. You know, we have to do something. Mm-hmm. You have to show that you actually really want it. Yeah. It's just not like, I want this. And you know, even you have to... in, 
think about it yourself. Go ahead. Sorry. And even in comparing yourself to other people, why can't I have what this other person has? Um, he's looking at Joseph and he's thinking, well, I should be able to translate like just like Joseph. Um, That's a great but point. But Joseph right? has been through this very long preparatory period to be able to translate as he does. And I think the Lord says that to us sometimes when we say, this is what I want. Right. And the Lord says to us, well, you're not ready yet. And maybe that's not your gift. And maybe that's not your gift. You, you've got another gift to give. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you so much, Heidi and Angela, for being here with us today. Appreciate your perspectives and learning more about, about this chapter in Saints, about personal revelation, and uh, how it affected the, the early saints as well as how it affects us today. Thank you. I'm Ben Godfrey. Thanks for joining us today for Saints. And don't forget to read more of this historical narrative on LDS.org or on your Gospel Library app. Join us again for our next episode, where we'll once again discover fascinating insights of church history found in Saints, the story of the Church of Jesus Christ in the Latter Days. See you next time.